mitzvah number 26 and 27 and 28 and 29 are uh, various aspects of idolatry. The first one is not to believe in idolatry. The second one is not to construct an idolatry, not to make an idolatry. The third one is to not bow down before an idol. And the fourth is not to worship an idol in whatever way the idol is worshipped. Now, if you look at the Rambam, he lists in the beginning of each section of law, he lists how many mitzvos are pertinent to that particular law. And in the laws of idolatry, he actually lists 51 separate mitzvos related to withholding from idolatry. In effect, that's around 8% of all mitzvos have to do in some way with idolatry. It's also interesting that uh, we're right now in the middle of the Ten Commandments in chapter 20 of Exodus. And we always assume Ten Commandments, well, that's ten mitzvos. And here we see, at least according to the Rambam and how he counts the mitzvos, that no, there's four in the second commandment of don't not have another God before me. There's four separate mitzvos, not to believe in it, not to make it, not to bow before it, and not to worship it. In fact, the Rambam is subject to critique because the Talmud in the book of Makros tells us that there's 613 mitzvos. 611 we heard from Moses and two we heard from God. What are those two? The first two of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. So if that's only two According to the Rambam, it's not two, it's five. Because the first commandment is one, and the second commandment actually includes five. So what we should have been told in the Talmud is that Moses gave us 608, and five we heard directly from God. So there's various answers given to this question. One of the answers is is that when it says that we heard the two commandments from God, the two utterances from God, we didn't hear the words of God per se, because in fact we're told that God said all ten commandments in one word which again, it's, it's, it's a certain prophetic experience that we can't even fathom. But what it means is we are the voice of God. We are the experience of the first two principles, A, to believe in God, and B, to not believe in anything else. And those two principles really encompass the first two commandments, not the first five. And then as a subcategory of not to believe in, in other gods is not to make one and not to bow before one and not to... Uh, not to worship one, etc. But that's just an interesting little tidbit regarding this mitzvah. In addition, uh, we're told by our sages that there's six mitzvos that are constant, that apply at all times and all places. Of course, we only shake the lulav on Sukkot. We only eat matzah on Pesach, unless you're one of those people who really like matzah and you like uh, overpriced crackers throughout the whole year. Uh, but mitzvahs are isolated times. Some mitzvahs are by day, some mitzvahs are by night. Uh, and there's six mitzvahs that are constant. And what are they? That is to believe in God, the first of the Ten Commandments, to not believe in any other power, to believe that God is one, not comprised of any parts, to love God, to fear God, and to not deviate after your heart and your eyes. So these are very central tenets of Jewish life because they are, in effect, a reflection not of what we do, but of whom we are. When we are told that there's constant mitzvahs, mitzvahs that you have to do all the time, it means that they have to become second nature. They have to become your identity 
that you are even when you're not thinking about it. Because if you have to think about it at all times, you can't think about anything else. And you can't think about six things simultaneously. So it means it has to – your life, your identity, who your persona has to be a reflection of these six things. It's also important to note that uh, idolatry and many of its permutations is one of the three cardinal sins. There's three cardinal sins that we must give up our lives to not transgress. If a heathen comes, puts a gun to our head and says, do idolatry, we're told that we're supposed to welcome martyrdom in that case. Well, if they say, you know, that's okay, the Shabbos, or eat a cheeseburger, or do something else that's not one of these three cardinal sins, we're supposed to save ourselves and commit the sin and prevent ourselves from being killed. But with regards to the three cardinal sins, idolatry, adultery, and rape, and murder, those three are the exceptions we must forfeit our lives and not transgress. And I think as a way to kind of open up the subject, the Rambam in the Laws of Idolatry, chapter 1, is dedicated to the history of idolatry, how it developed, how it kind of spun out of control, and the history of the development of monotheism, what changed. It's a very fascinating read. I want to read to you uh, some parts of it. In the days of Enosh, begins the Rambam, people made a grave blunder. What was the mistake? The mistake was that they made a calculation. And their calculation is, well, of course, they might have created the heavens and the earth and all the galaxies and all the constellations. And he's in charge of everything. But he placed the sun and the moon and the stars and the heaven and gave them lots of honor. And they're his emissaries. And therefore, it's worthy, it's appropriate for us to accord them honor. Because after all, every king wants his people, his ministers, to be given honor. And therefore, as a way to honor God, we're going to honor the sun and the moon and the stars, etc. And once they did that, they said, okay, well, how are we going to honor them? Let's, let's build a temple for them. Let's give them sacrifices. Let's praise them. Let's glorify them. Let's bow down to them all as a way to serve God. That was the origin of idolatry. These were monotheists that went awry by making a miscalculation of how to fulfill monotheism properly. And the Ramam stresses that they didn't initially believe that these powers, these forces, these constellations were actually creators, but they wanted to give it honor as a way to honoring God. And after many years, they had false prophets and the prophets told them that really what God wants is not just to give honor to these stars and forces, rather to actually worship them. And they started worshiping them and bringing sacrifices to them and building more temples for them. And then they would make carven images of these, uh, of these deities and bow down for them. And everyone would do that. The men, the women, all the children. And these false prophets were perpetuate this falsehood that 
they, of course, invented in their heart, but that they claimed came as a prophecy from God. And we can kind of see how the slippery slope happens. It starts to expand to more idolatrous temples and uh, all, uh, various other altars on tops of mountains and under trees and in uh, various valleys. And they would gather together and they would bow down. And they would start, uh, the, the false prophets would say, well, this, this idol likes it like this, and this idol likes it like that, and if you do this, it'll do good to you, if you do this, it'll do bad to you, and if you want to be successful, then you should do this, and if you want to be, if you want to be careful if you do that, it might be trouble, and you should worship it, you should fear it, and the pagan priests sprung out, and they, again, developed the theology of, uh, of of paganism and he kind of really delineates what's happening thing after thing uh, until eventually it's it's spread out throughout the whole world to worship all these images in all kinds of various ways to bring them sacrifices to bow down before them and eventually the origin the idea of one God that has all the power coalesced within him that became forgotten. And there was only a few individuals who kept track of that old tradition. But everywhere else, there was widespread and rampant idolatry, all kinds of temples built for the idolatry, children trained from a very young age to bow down to worship and to swear the names of idolatry. And things just got worse and worse. No one remembered them, only a few people like Noah, amongst others, and that's how things went and how things spiraled out of control until the pillar of the world was born, and that is Abraham. That's kind of the introduction of, of the laws. And then he talks about Abraham, what Abraham did, how Abraham as a small child started to investigate and ask questions and, and ponder, and even though he himself was born into a very uh, idolatrous uh, town and, and family. In fact, we even know where he was born. He was born in the city of Ur. And we even know where that place is today. In fact, it was a whole city dedicated to worshiping the moon god. And in fact, even today, there's a massive ziggurat in that city, the biggest ziggurat in the world, which is a huge, huge temple for idolatry. You could look pictures at it uh, uh, on the internet. The great ziggurat of Ur, that's where Abraham grew up. A quarter of the city was temples for this this idol. In each home, by the way, in this city, there was a small altar and a small one. One of the rooms, like we have a laundry room and the living room and the dining room, everyone had a room for the idol, and they would do idolatrous sacrifices in the in in their home. You kind of wonder the famous story about Abraham as a small child. His father was a seller, manufacturer of idols. Like, how could that be a full-time job? That's the answer. If you live in this place, that I, it's a whole city dedicated to idolatry. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine that uh, idolatry was a booming business. And of course, Abraham is the one who's going to change the the. He's going to he's going to alter the trajectory of mankind by restoring the belief in monotheism. So I think it's kind of interesting to understand that uh, how this happened. You know, we look back at the idolaters of yore, we know 
that these policies, these practices were rampant. We know that. Roman historians document 30,000 different Roman gods. We also know that the Romans were very talented, very intelligent, very capable, and we kind of wonder how is it possible that such a thing could happen? You know, maybe the barbarians of Euro, people that we think that are barbarians, you know, if, if they do it, sure, but the Romans and the Greeks and these great titans of, of intellect and architecture and art and philosophy, these people did idolatry. How does such a thing even happen? And here, here's the answer is that it was, it was a slippery slope. Monotheism was present and over the course of centuries, people wanted to have some sort of physical representation of God or some sort of physical interaction. And the idea of this invisible God, the idea of this entirely spiritual entity, the idea of only one power, it's something which is, you know, pe- people wanted to have something more concrete, at least in their eyes. And that's what they desired. That's what they got. Uh, but they never realized at the beginning, the people who initiated the first step of this road towards paganism, they never imagined where it would lead to, that people will forget entirely about God and they'll just worship the idols. They said, no, 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 this is just a way to kind of help us worship God. And again, as we say, the road to hell is paved with wonderful, noble intentions. And th- that that's a classic example here. But once the ball got rolling, it's very hard to stop it. And of course, Abraham did it. But even Abraham, he wasn't successful in changing the practices for the majority of the world for a long time. The Abrahamic principles today are everywhere. Today, Abraham reigns supreme. Even people don't believe in God. If they were to believe in God, they believe in the Abrahamic version of it. But uh, it took a long time for that to happen, but he was the one who kind of restored the world back to its monotheistic roots. And when when our nation was founded, like this was a, still a huge deal. In We're told the Talmud tells us, in the land of Egypt, when the Jews were there in Egypt, they were idolaters like their Egyptian neighbors. There was almost no difference. There were some differences, but they were both idolaters. And what that means is, is that this seeped in to our nation as well. And I don't, I don't think there's any other mitzvah in the Torah that is as comprehensively uh, talked about as idolatry. In fact, when Moses is about to die, the whole book of Deuteronomy, a large chunk of it are dedicated towards warning the Jews to not descend into idolatrous ways once they arrive in the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. And uh, and like we said, there's 51 separate mitzvos, and because it was obviously something that was very challenging. Now today, the desire for idolatry has subsided. We no longer have a desire to genuflect before an idol. That's something that we don't have. We don't want to do anymore. And it's even maybe puzzling for us why it was so insanely popular back in the day. Um, and we'll get to that, why that changed and how that actually changed. But let's dig into the first mitzvah to not believe into, in, in, uh, in foreign gods. So the general principle is to not believe in any god with the exception of the Almighty. Blessed is he, as the verse tells us in chapter 20 of Exodus verse 3, you shall not have any foreign gods before me. What does that mean? Not to believe in any other god with the exception of the Almighty. And 
continues the Sefer Achinuch, the book that we're using to teach us about the, the mitzvos, the 613 mitzvos. This mitzvah is a principle, is a great principle of Torah for everything hinges upon it. As our sages tell us, everyone who adopts idolatry, they have repudiated the entire Torah. Once someone has this, then they have nothing else. If you have idolatry, then you've just taken God and taken him off his pedestal, and therefore you cannot have a divine Torah. A divine Torah is predicated upon Mitzvah 25, to believe in God, and Mitzvah 26, not to believe in any foreign gods. Only with that combo can you have the rest of Torah. What does it mean to believe in a foreign god? It means either to accept this other entity as your god, with the exception of the Almighty, or to worship it in the way that it is worshipped, or even not the way that it's worshipped. The Talmud proves that there's four ways of worshipping all idols that are universal, and they are to bow down before it, to sacrifice before it, to pour libations, and to offer incense to it. And these things are universal practices that are practiced to all uh, to all idols, uh, and therefore any one of those four would constitute worshiping of an idol. In addition, we're told, and again, there's 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 an entire book of Talmud called the Vodazara, which deals entirely with the laws of idolatry and the various kinds of idolatries and the various prohibitions related to idolatry, and it appears in all in, in many other books of the Talmud. It's a very comprehensive subject, and we're going through the basic outline here. But we're told, in addition, that if someone believes in God, but also believes that there is some power in their idol, we would call it maybe uh, dualism or pantheism or something like that, that too is a transgression of this prohibition. We have to believe that there's one power, one ultimate power, nothing else has power. The only power that anything else has is accorded to them by the original power. Another interesting law that the Talmud tells us is that while generally speaking, there is a principle of toch kedidibur kedibur, meaning that if you retract your statement immediately, you could nullify the statement. If you say something and you right away retract it, it's almost as if it doesn't get doesn't get filed. The original statement doesn't get filed. You're able to retract it. But there's four exceptions where immediate retraction does not undo the original statement, and they are by marriage and divorce, idolatry and blasphemy. These are things which are so serious. People don't say, uh, let's get married. Oh, no, I was just kidding. People don't make those kinds of jokes. Oh, let me divorce you. Uh, ah, just kidding. Those are things that people don't kid about. Similarly, idolatry and blasphemy – these are things that are not a joking matter, and therefore you don't have the latitude to re- to withdraw, to retract your statement right away. Also, this is one of the seven Noahide mitzvos. There's mitzvos that are universal mitzvos applied to all people, not just Jews. And one of them, of course, is idolatry. And in addition, it's not just this mitzvah, but anything that relates to this mitzvah as well. So the seven Noahide laws are more comprehensive than seven core principles. There are seven core principles, but they can be applied in many different ways. And um, 
we're not going to cover all four today. We'll leave the next three for next time. But I want to kind of broaden the subject to understand, I guess, the breakdown of, of how idolatry works and how we counteract it. Uh, my grandfather was fond of quoting a prayer that we say every Shabbos morning. There is no value, there's no priority like your priority, O oh God, in this world. And there's nothing besides for you in Olam So we're saying that there's nothing like God in this world and there's nothing besides God in next world. So what does that mean? So my grandfather would explain that in this world, everyone has the ability to make choices to determine what they value, what they prioritize, and how great they, how high they prioritize that. You know, for some people, the most important thing in their life is their sports teams, or their politics, or their business, or their family, or their stamp collection. Everyone could have a choice of what's the most important thing in their lives. That, in effect, is a reflection of our free will. We have the ability to determine what's important for, for us and how important it is. So one guy doesn't care about sports at all. It's not important at all. It's not a priority at all. For, for the other person, big sports fan, well, that may be very high on their list of priorities. Well, what's our top priority? So every morning, every Shabbos morning, we say, there is no value, there's no priority like you, like God, in this world. In this world where we have the choice to accept you or to reject you, we choose to make you a priority that is unrivaled by any other priority, by any other value. So every Shabbos morning, we're saying we have the option to choose you or reject you. We're choosing you. We're making you the top priority, unrivaled by any other priority. However, in Olam the next world, there's nothing besides for God. That choice, that free will is suspended, and then we just see the world as it is. The definition of, of idolatry, according to this model of, 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 of priorities on a certain totem pole is that whatever your top priority in your totem pole is, that is your deity. And if that's not God, then that is equivalent to idolatry. And that's kind of the, the, the structure of belief. We have beliefs and therefore those beliefs determine our behavior. So for example, your money or your life, what do you choose? You choose your life. Why do you choose your life? Because your life's more important. It's a higher priority on your totem pole for almost everyone. Your life or your family's life? That's a hard question. I don't know what the answer to that. I don't know what the correct answer is. What about your life and God? So the question is, which one is a higher priority on your list? If someone says, my life is more important than God, well, then they're going to do idolatry to save their life. What we're told, you have to give up your life to not transgress idolatry. What we're told is that you have to make God the top priority. And if he's the top priority, he's higher than your family, than your wife, than your kids, than your own life, than everything. It's a top priority. And anything that leapfrogs that, that's, that's idolatry. That's, that's the same thing as, as idolatry. And that, I think, brings it much closer to home. We're like, ah, idolatry, I got that covered. I'm not, I have no figurines in my house. I don't bow down to any figurines, not interested at all, I'm good. But when we understand the structure of, of what idolatry actually in effect is, it's some value, some priority that's higher than God in what's important to me in my life, 
then it's very relevant to us because most people, you know, well, at least when we, we begin life and then it's, you know, my life is the most important thing in the world. My children. What does Abraham do? Again, Abraham is our guide here. Abraham is the one who, when God tells him to go sacrifice his son, he goes to sacrifice his son. What if he didn't go sacrifice his son? Then that would be idolatry because the life of his son is worth more to him than the, than the will of God. And that's idolatry. And therefore, Abraham is the ultimate monotheist because to him there was only the priority of God on his list and everything else was secondary, tertiary to that. Now, I would add, everything else was organized in a direct proportion as how much they connect to the original principle. Not only did God, did, not only did Abraham have God as the top priority, he probably had God as the only priority, which is similar to Olamaba. So I think that, that does broaden the subject of idolatry uh, many, many times over. In fact, the Talmud tells us that Abraham had a book of laws of idolatry comprised of 400 chapters. In our book of idolatry, there's only five chapters. Abraham expanded the subject 80-fold because he expanded anything that was not God and has its own value, own independent value of God, own, own value independent of God, of God. That, in Abraham's mind, was considered full-blown idolatry and he would he worked really hard to extricate, to, to remove that from himself. Next week, we'll cover, please God, if we have time, we'll cover uh, the next three mitzvot, not to bow down, uh, not to make, and not to worship an idol.